the project. Kuwait. Learn. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Project Kuwait. We have Dr. Juliet Dinko on the show. She is a professor at the American University of Kuwait, and she is a local psychologist, practicing psychologist. She's been here for over 15 years, so she knows our society pretty well, and she's seen it evolve in different ways. So this episode, we dive into a number of topics from body dysmorphia, plastic surgery, the effects of social media on our younger generations and our own generation. I mean, believe it or not, a lot of people are getting different procedures done because they want to look like their social influencer person. So sit back, relax, listen to this episode because we hit on a lot of different educational topics this time, I would say. And if you have any questions, shoot us a DM or you can DM Dr. Juliet. We will put her link in the show notes. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review and tell all your friends about the show so that they can listen to it and hopefully come out with something cool. All this and more in today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Project Kuwait. And I am joined by none other than Dr. Juliet Dinka. She is a professor at the American University of Kuwait. And she is a practicing psychologist here in Kuwait. She's the lady who introduced me to, let's see if I can remember this from the class days, <laughs> Freud, Horni, Young, Bandura. is your favorite, That's right. right? It's my favorite, yeah. And yeah. Freud is my favorite too. Even though a lot of contradiction around his theory. And every time my students like, just like when you guys were around, they always are disagreeing. How could you like him? He had all these like ideas about, you know, the relationship, the Oedipus complex, sexual stages. Yeah. And everyone's like, how could you like him? But really, if you think about it, he makes sense in a lot of his stuff. Hey, I mean, Freud was the father of psychology. So he was. And you know, the funny thing is, is that look, look how old you are. And the 21st century, we still talked about him. So it means that I know I would love that when I die 100 years later, <laughs> people are still talking about me. So it tells you, no matter how contradicting he is, he's still remembered in every psychology class. But now here's a question for you. All right. This is totally off topic. Off topic. Yeah. <laughs> Freud did cocaine, right? Well, he, he was did. one of the psychologists that did cocaine. Well, that's true, but he was using it as a pain reliever, right? And a lot of times, this is what the contradiction is about, is that he did do cocaine, but they were more morphines in the sense of like a lot of his pain, and he uses as a pain reliever. And so a lot of times people say, well, how do you know his theory is really accurate because he was high when he was doing all this? Yeah. Which probably that's the dispute of some of the, his thoughts maybe was not accurate. And his note back then, they couldn't like, the only thing he kept diary of information. So they were wondering if it's really accurate. Sometimes, like if you look at the old stuff that he wrote, some of it is very unclear, very hard to read. But even though, despite the fact, I do feel like one day we got to talk about this Oedipus complex. Yeah. And really yeah. does it matter. But still, you know, if you think about it, but you learned a lot from him, huh? No, I definitely did. And I've always had a keen interest in psychology. Yeah. Like I should have a major in psychology with all I, the classes. I, I think you should have. <laughs> you were one of the students that I felt like you would probably do really well as a psychologist. I was the most screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, come on. I was in your office as much as most people. So, you know, I, I don't have to hide it. You know, I had my anger issues. I had my issues to deal with and exercised some of those demons and created some along the way. Yeah. But, but I I'm, think we're all kind of abnormal in our own way. Remember when I used to tell you guys that there's a thin line between normal and abnormal. So I feel like all of us at one time, if we have enough stress and our ego is diffused somehow, we can all fall into the abnormal category. I know sometimes I'm probably falling into the abnormal <laughs> category. 
lack of sleep. If you think about our childhood, if you read about a lot of psychologists, why do we become psychologists? Because we're trying to repair our own life. (laughs) (laughs) That's always true. And it feels like I'm back in class again. The yeah. ego, super the ego, ego, and the id. It's, <laughs> the true. id is the one that I like. Let's see if I can remember this. The id was in charge of the craziness. The super ego was morality. And the ego was the balance. That's right. He's the referee between the two. See, That's there, right. There we Jay, go. Good job. I, see, I should I be a professor. I did a good job teaching <laughs> you. You really did. You really did. <laughs> yes. But sorry, back to Freud. Just so I can support the guy. Like right now. <laughs> you have to support the guy. And, and I do. And right now there's a lot of research coming out with, I think it's using LSD to treat PTSD, if I'm not mistaken. I read somewhere in an article that they're starting to experiment a little bit right. in the States with hallucinogenics. And Silicon Valley, they've used it for a while now. Right, right. So have you read up on any of this research? I mean, no, drugs re- have been a part of psychology for a long time. Right. And the thing is, I haven't really read a lot about the LSD. Of course, we all know about marijuana being used for a lot of medical terms. It's very interesting because a lot of these here, people, students are talking about, well, it's legal. It should not be a problem if someone gets caught. And I feel like here, it's not monitored. I mean, in the US, when you're buying it from a monitored place where it's supervised and you've got someone that is supervising a new... And so that's a different category. But you see these people that are trying to apply it here. Here it's illegal. Obviously, we don't have a lot of that. But it's true. There is a lot of research that has been saying that it's been targeting certain diagnoses or disorders. It's true. But not here. And so the stuff that people are using here is not pure, it's not clean. And we don't advocate. So you get these, you know, some of my students are like, yeah, but dog, you know, whenever I'm talking about drugs and that, because also you have to remember, there's also some deficiencies about it. So if you're taking it and it's not monitored and it's not pure, then you're probably going to harm yourself more than you're helping yourself. And then they get, oh yeah, but it's in some states, it's, it's legalized. legalized, but not here. And it's not the stuff you have yeah, here. Yeah. And so you have all this debate about, is it not? I mean, I'm assuming PTSD and having a lot of their traumatic experiences, their reoccurring of memories, maybe but it probably requires a lot more research on LSD itself because it is a hallucinogen. I, I'm, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I know it was hallucinogens. I'm not sure if it was LSD. Yeah, or, yeah. I, wonder. It, it, I, it I haven't really been. read up. And I them. think it was low dosages too. It mm-hmm. wasn't like something crazy. It was like a very low dose in order to combat PTSD. I'd have to read more into it. I'll tag the study in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> so, okay. So people don't think I'm full of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would like to see it it's actually. Defi- it's definitely legit. So instead of this podcast turning into about drugs, people with problems, <laughs> <laughs> what was the other class? Drug, yeah, uh, it was so drugs. What else did you take? Did you take abnormal? Now, oh my abnormal God, I is took, my I favorite took abnormal. class. I took every one of your psychology classes. Yeah. I don't did think you, now, was, was a, I taking you guys to the psych hospital when you guys took abnormal psychology? No, no. Oh, so I started taking students once a year and I teach it now only in the fall semester. So it would be easier for my friends at the psych hospital. They're so welcoming and we get to go the end of the semester where students really experience what the psych hospital is like. And we also go to the drug and rehab unit with Dr. Adil Zayed. He always invites us. He's such a nice man. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he is. And Dr. Ammar, who is now in charge of the psychiatric, Dr. Ibrahim. So all of these people are very welcoming. They want the students to have a lot more exposure. And you know, when you read it, well, why do I take the abnormal? Because as you remember from that class, we talk a lot about the disorders and we talk about each one of them in particular. Remember, we talked about depression, bipolar. Plus, I have a lot of guest speakers that come to the class to talk about their own specialty, like anxiety disorder, bipolar. We talk about schizophrenia. We do talk about kids. So it's nice to have the students out of the classroom to go to a field trip where they can really see where 
some of this. I mean, I touch a little bit on drugs and alcohol, but then when they go to the unit and they can see that what services we have, that it's the Kuwait does have services and it does care about some of these issues. It's nice. It's a really eye-opening experience. That's amazing. I mean, that's great. You guys have come a long way from when I yeah, was Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's... after like 14 years, and I could see like a lot of students. I mean, that's like the most popular class abnormal. Most students, because most students do want to diagnose their own self and they want to, <laughs> they want. And I tell people, like the first thing we do is we diagnose ourselves before you start going around saying, oh, you've got OCD, oh, you've got this. And, and we have to be very careful because people, I mean, it's the same thing. I'm sure you remember how I always used to have an issue with teachers Try not that I dismiss teachers, but if you're not a psychologist, psychiatrist, you shouldn't be going around saying, oh, you have ADHD or you are depression. Which is a huge and, issue. And it's a huge issue no because offense. we're labeling. I mean, yeah, you know? yeah, there's a lot of labeling, especially at the kids level. Of course, I mean, of course. With, with kids in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, they're like, oh, he has ADHD. Mm. And my whole thought is one of my friends was like, yeah, his teacher said he had ADHD. And I was like, dude, have you read up on this? Like, have you not thought maybe your kid just needs to get out and play more? Right. Which could be associated. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. No, but also people but. have to understand that is it really ADHD? Is the kid really bored and he's very smart and maybe he's bored in the class? Maybe he's very creative. I mean, nowadays there's a lot more research about creativity and kids that are like daydreamers. Should we discourage them from daydreaming? They should be daydreaming because that's also their creativity. So is he distracted? Is he not paying attention because of ADHD? And I mean, even me, I'm, I'm a clinician. I've been a doctor for 20 some years without telling you my age. The idea is, is that I still have to do a diagnosis. I have to run through the symptoms. I mean, no matter how much experience I have, we have certain tests we got to give these kids or adults. You know, when you come to my office, we have a assessment. We give you a small one. And I need to see all of this before I tell you you've got this or that. I also don't like giving people diagnosis because then they go around. You've got these people that are going to use it as a crutch of saying, oh, I'm depressed. I can't work. I don't want them to think that they're disabled now because we even have schizophrenics who are a moderate state where they do work and they have family. And so I don't want people to walk around thinking that, oh, now I'm OCD. I can't work or I can't have a relationship or I can't maintain my family. So I hate labeling. And then, but it's worse when someone is labeling you and they're not even qualified my all respect to people. When someone comes to me and I have like my stomach hurts, I don't go around diagnosing them. I don't know anything about stomach. This is not my area. So when I have a patient and the patient says, look, I've got all these physical symptoms, I say, you better go. I give them referral. So I think other people are not qualified, should not be coming around saying, oh, you've got ADHD or you've got depression or you have OCD. Sometimes people use these words very lightly. And I think that's terrible, to be honest. They shouldn't. No, you're 100% right. Now, I think this is a great segue into the emergence of social media yes, and with, with which, the tweens. And I mean, back when I was a student, I mean, we had Blackberries. <laughs> that yeah, was, that yeah. was the full extent of it. We had Blackberries and MSN Messenger and whatever yeah. else. But now social media is huge, yeah. you know, and it's got its good things and it's got its really bad things at mm. the same time. I mean, it's a very positive influence and a negative influence. Mm. What changes have you seen with the students or with the tweens, so to speak, over the last, I'd say, five to seven years, given that right now before it would be, you look at a magazine and you see the perfect body on that magazine. Mm. But now it's constantly in young teenage girls' faces, boys' mm. faces. Mm. Have you seen any changes? Of course. And I think one of the biggest changes is that it's distorting our young people's reality, right? I've done a lot of presentations on this and I've gone on TV to talk about it. This social media, this idea of when you're comparing 
you know, back in the days in my age, for example, if you compared, you compared in person or you compared when you're out in an event, but I wasn't bombarded with something that is in my hand all the time where I am checking and seeing how many people liked me, how many people didn't like my picture, or I don't have this idea of like, so, but now you think about it. I mean, most of the time we're spending a lot of time on social media and what are we doing most of the time? We're comparing ourselves. Like we're trying to compare, like if someone is taking travel, then we feel like we're not traveling as much as this person. And so, but it's a distorted reality because, you know, I've hardly ever seen anyone that's going to put anything on social media where it says their reality that they're depressed or that they're not really happy in their relationship or they're not really good parenting. Everything is very edited and put out there to make people believe that I'm really happy. And so I feel like that is really distorting our reality and our eating disorders have increased, body image have increased, the depression has increased, people's suicidal thoughts have increased. Why? Because we're constantly feeling like we're not good enough. And especially like this, I mean, can you imagine like I've had students and patients where like, you know, I posted this picture and I only got 10 likes and it seems like a lot of people didn't really like it. So suddenly now my evaluation of my self-worth has a lot to do with how many likes did I get or did I get enough? Did I not get enough? Are people liking me? Are people following me? For example, it's like, how many people are following you? Like, what kind of question is that? How many people are really following you? Since when is my self-worth has a lot to do with people following me? I mean, you could have organic followers and not as much as the other people who are buying their followers. And it doesn't mean that those people are going to know more than me, for example. So I feel like it's so funny how social media has gotten us to the point where my self-worth, my self-esteem, my confidence, everything has something to do with how many people are following you. So suddenly, if people are not following me as much as this other person, it makes them a better psychologist. It makes them famous. And so can you imagine, for me, I mean, I'm beyond that stage and I don't care, but can you imagine if you're doing it in the teens where right now this is the self-confidence is the most important and the only thing they have. But it's also, don't forget, it has increased their loneliness. Most of the people are spending a lot more time being on social media by themselves at home. It has really decreased their social skills. Like they don't really know how to target skills. They don't know how to negotiate. You should see my students. They don't even know how to communicate with me as a professor. I mean, I just recently had done a workshop about what do you do when you're anxious? What do you do when you have a problem with your professor? Do you wait? I mean, most of the time they'll wait till it's a week. Just recently, I mean, we just finished finals. Two weeks ago, I've been telling everyone, don't wait till two weeks ago. If you're feeling like you're not doing good, come talk to me. No, they don't do it because they lack that skill. So two weeks before, I mean, the semester is finished. What can I do for you? Now they're like, oh, I got to graduate. I'm on scholarship. My mom, I don't know what. All these excuses that what can I do if you haven't approached me ahead of time? Because they lack that skill. They lack this confrontation or this ability to solve problems. And so if the only thing you're seeing is wonderful people, good looking people, right? That are nice, sexy, they're dressed nice. What are you going to do? And if I don't look like these individuals, what do I do? I start to feel bad about myself. Hardly ever in that age category, they're going to say, oh yeah, this person is not realistic. They've edited their pictures. They're not real. We don't do that. I mean, that's why. Why do you have an eight-year-old that's suffering from anorexia, for example? Back in the days when I was in school, I remember I worked at this unit in Chicago. Most of the time we'll see eating disorders. I'm very rare we saw someone that was like below a 13, a 13, you know, teenager. And then before you know it, now we're seeing seven-year-olds, we're seeing eight-year-olds. We've seen these parents, these moms that push their kids to be like actors and they want them to be in very in sport. 
So they push their eating. Instead of teaching them eating right, they're teaching them not to eat. When you look at kids that their age, they all look thin. And if you're not a thin eight-year-old, then what do you do? You feel bad. Bullying has increased. And the worst part of bullying, bullying has always been in existence. But the worst part of it is cyberbullying now. That you can't control. So I mean, in bullying at school, like you can go tell your teacher if they can do something about it. But it's leads, it's there face to face. Now it's cyberbullying where someone is like making fun of your body or the way you look or if you've got glasses, if you're disabled and they're doing it on social media where you feel like you have no control over it. And that's why we also have increase in suicide, right? At that young age. So there's so much pressure and it causes people to feel so much pressure. It's amazing what it's done. I mean, now my son, I took him off of Instagram. I've closed it down for the last three months and people probably think, I don't know, probably this is not something I should do, but I did. I took it off because you get mean comments. I have to monitor it all the time. It was pressure for me, but also that he doesn't know how to deal with it. He's not ready to get comments that are good or bad. When you're allowing your kid to have something like that, there's two choices. I either have to be able to monitor it and help him guide him through some steps, or he's not ready for it. This is not where I want my son's strength to be on how he manages his Instagram. I want him to be a good citizen. I want him to be able to create relationships that are real, not virtual. I want him to be able to connect and communicate. And I figured if he's stuck with this Instagram, he's never going to develop the skills that I need him to make him a global citizen in the world. So, you know. It's an issue I think everyone's been talking about, Mm -hmm. especially with the cyberbullying. And I got to put you in touch with the Flow podcast because they're doing a huge thing on bullying in Kuwait. Uh So I'll definitely give you his contact Mm -hmm. information. He's got a podcast and it would be great if you went on with him too. Yeah, He's doing a huge thing for bullying. So, Oh, good, good. Because we really need to actually. It's scary. I mean, I touched on this earlier back when I was growing up. Girls would see the girl on the magazine. They wanted to be like her. Guys would see the guy in the magazine. We wanted to be like them. And... It sort of morphs the image that you mm. talked about of what we see we should be like. Right. Do you believe that or do you see this more, especially in the Kuwaiti community where people are a lot more impressionable, at least from what I've seen, they're a lot more impressionable here. Is it at a heightened point right now where you see more, I'd say, tweens, anorexic state or just jumping the gun that, oh, I don't look like this person or that person or is it more in society or… I don't really know. I mean, Kuwait is such a small society, it's so hard to compare it. But I mean, for its society and for the small size of it, I mean, you do see it a lot more. But I'm not sure if like eating disorders increased here versus like if it's increased in the US. Of course, that's no comparison. Is there any research in Kuwait? There's a lot of research. Actually, I had finished a paper recently on Instagram and narcissism, which is the opposite. (laughs) And does it really make people more narcissistic? And of course, we also measured the idea of our narcissism level first? And does it really get get increased by Instagram? Because most of the time people are taking selfies, they're trying to present themselves in good light. And does it really increase it? We've noticed that in some people, it does increase their narcissism. Of course, that they are already narcissistic. I mean, can you imagine like today with one of my patients, we were talking about, I don't even know how we got to that topic, but how people like doctors, they use it. And I, I don't have no problem. I mean, obviously I use Instagram, but I feel like a lot of times, A lot of professionals are using it to be able to increase their popularity. Or if you're someone that wants to give information, like I love disseminating information. That's why I've been teaching for such a long time. But I feel like a lot of times it's also used in the other way where they're going to get admired. They get more followers. It's more popularity. Who's the popular, famous doctor? Who's not? And so I was saying to her that now more and more, like you get the dentist and you get the MDs and you get the psychiatrist and you get the psychologist. 
So everyone's like kind of competing in this poll of who's going to be the most famous. And the idea is that if they disseminate information, it's not a problem. But does it really increase? I was telling somebody that doctors have a good risk of being narcissists because they're admired so much, right? And people find them to be, you know, it's a doctor or engineer or lawyer. And I was saying that it does. And now with social media, it's just putting you on that platform. It's making you much more out there. So of course, your narcissism is going to increase because you get a lot of people contacting you, messaging you. You're the most liked. I love this about you or whatever. So the idea is, is that, is it more here? As a clinician, I do see a lot more of the influence of social media on. Now, were they depressed before? And with social media, they become more depressed. There might be a possibility. And we know that genetically, people could be more predisposed to depression, environmentally, biologically. And so we need to do a research about like, were they depressed before? And are they becoming more depressed with social media, which I'm assuming they're going to say. But for us, like for that research was more on body image. And so there was a more two categories, body image influenced by Instagram. Yes, we noticed that more people are more aware of that. And it was done here. And then would it also increase your narcissism? Of course, we narcissism, we didn't see as much as we thought we would, our hypothesis. Interesting. Like. So obviously, if they're already narcissistic, they're already narcissists. It didn't really say yes or no. But with body image, we noticed that there was a lot big correlation between people that use social media. And we only looked at Instagram. And because, you know, in the West, they use a lot more Facebook. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I use Facebook. And whenever I talk about Facebook in my classes, they're all like laughing at me. <laughs> use Facebook as of like I'm ancient, right? But they don't understand that really the idea is, is that we use it a lot. We do use it in the US. I mean, that's what Facebook was created so we can yeah, connect to yeah. other people. But obviously we just did Instagram because it is very highly used here and it's the most used like in Saudi Arabia here. It's one of the biggest program to be used. So when we noticed that, we noticed that people do use it and it does have a lot to do with their body image and the way they see themselves. And then if I look at the clinic, for example, I do see a lot more younger people suffering with their body image. Not everyone that has body image suffers from it. But the idea is that you see it, that they're more aware of their body. They're more aware of their confidence, trying to work on it. I mean, most of the time I have to tell people, look, you got to give detox yourself from social media. Yeah. I mean, I recommend most of the time is people, they should, when you go on vacation, you shouldn't be on social media. Yeah. This is your time to detox. Detoxing is very, very important. You should detox yourself from negative people. You should detox yourself from electronics. It gives you a lot more energy. And here we are, like we're very much into, not show off, but we are here very much into, we are very aware of what people think of us. First impression matters. People very much into your appearance. So I could see that there's a lot more pressure here. Yes. Most people that know me, I stopped giving a shit a long time ago. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I know you and you never, like you did. But it's nice. I mean, maybe because I don't know. I mean, how did you become like that? And how did you never like, I don't want to use the word shit, but how did you? No, not, you could use whatever you use word whatever you want, word. Unless, unless you want to censor it. It's I cool. mean, no, it's I, fine. But it's true. Sometimes you get these individuals like, I haven't like met too many people like you after you've graduated. You were just real. Showed up, you know? showed up to class in my pajamas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like the U.S., right? Yeah. Most of the time, well, you saw, you know, a lot of times these students, they're so reserved and they worry about what people say about them and they have to be top-notch. I mean, look. If social I a, masks. Yeah, social that, that masks. That was from class too. That's right. <laughs> That's another That's right. thing that I Very remember. True. Now, with social media taking off and all of this stuff, I mean, from your field, have you seen a lot of people going to roots of doing some un- more unhealthy habits like surgeries, supplements, mm. doing these crazy diets of like not eating for like three days? And I mean, how is that 
when we relate it to people in body image right now, whether they're tweens or whether they're mm. an adult such as myself, because I knew I got hit by this a few years ago mm. where I was like, oh, you know, I want to look this way. And then I was like, wait a minute, am I really thinking of doing A, B, and C to mm. get this body? Mm. So, I mean, you see a lot of guys doing steroids. Yeah. You know, it's huge in Kuwait. Steroids yeah. are the biggest thing that I've seen, at least yeah. to hit the gym scene. And it's incredibly unhealthy. Yeah. And a lot of them don't know about it. So what do you see from your your field? Well, I mean, has plastic surgery increased? It increased because it's much more affordable, I think. More and more people can afford plastic surgeries now. Maybe back in the days, only certain mm-hmm. elite class did it. and But mostly the people that were famous or that required that they looked good all the time because they're on TV. Now, has it increased? What really bothers me here is that has, you see it more and more even with younger people, like people doing sleeve, for example, people doing their nose job. I mean, the majority of people in Kuwait have done a nose job. Just walk down the avenues. Yeah. <laughs> Just walk down the avenues. I mean, right? Everybody walking around. Yeah, with exactly. And the thing is, is that most of the time, and so the idea is, is that they do want to look a certain way. They want to be able to fit in. But I mean, just like I say, I said that in my class in social psychology and whatever I teach, I talk about plastic surgery. Is it really, I mean, not that young people are not doing plastic surgery in the US, but I feel here it become a trend. Like I have a patient today, for example, she's at least 30 kilo overweight, 30, 40, and she's very young, maybe 20, 21. All right. So every time she comes to me, we talk about look, let's go on a diet. I think there is certain things. And plus, there's a lot of statistic that says the food we put in our body affect our mood. Affect some, I mean, there's a big correlation between if you eat high intake carbs or fatty food, there is a substance that decreases your serotonin. We've talked about all this. We know this. And you know what she says to me? I mean, I see her once a week and for the past month, do you know what she says to me? No, but doc, I'm going to be doing the surgery. So today, instead of really thinking about, okay, what can we do? Because you are gaining weight. It's Ramadan. I mean, of course, I love the sweets. So instead of saying like, you can't have this much, I mean, her diagnosis and her mental health should avoid a lot of these sugars. She's been eating it because you know why? Because at the end of this month, I'm doing the sleeve. I'm doing the surgery. And I said to her, I don't know about you guys, but in the US, for example, for example, in the US, one of my best friends, she was overweight. And then she decided to do the sleeve, which is something you don't hear a lot about in the U.S. because most of the time they'll do all the other things. So anyways, my friend, she in Chicago, they had to go see a, a doctor. They have to do a blood test. She had to see a psychologist that says to her, it's okay for you to do the surgery and then do the surgery. They've talked to her about the diet. They wanted her to lose some weight before she does, right? And the reason why they do that health-wise and also because they want to make sure that you maintain it. Here, there is nothing required. So I said to her, don't you think that you should lose some weight? Let's learn how to lose weight. Because when you do this this surgery, I've known people here done surgery two years, three years, they're doing excellent. After the third year, I don't know what happened to them. They explode because they're not maintaining. (laughs) It's about maintaining your good. I mean, the surgery is not the answer for all. And then she's like, no, no, no. When I lose weight, my aunt, I don't know what, everyone has done it and everyone maintained it. I said, because they've got, well, they have self-discipline. I don't think you have it. You really got to be able to set yourself. No, no, no. This is the answer. And she's just one of many that I see that really talks about, no, no, doc, I'm going to have the surgery. I'm going to look wonderful. I mean, she's single. I'm going to marry the man of my dream. This is the answer. And then I understand that this might give you a kick. It's the same thing as like you sign up for these like diet foods, right? It's fine. It's the answer. And it gives you 
than what you need, but it gives you, I mean, now you've realized I've lost a lot of weight, but back then I was, I mean, I had just had the baby, whatever. And I felt like a lot but of- you do look great. Oh, thank you. You definitely thanks. look great. <laughs> thanks. Better than, exactly. But I worked very hard, but people used to say to me, Juliet, sign up for these food. I didn't sign up because I decided that I did a blood test and I realized what I should eat and not eat, whatever. And the idea is that it really gave me a sense. And then I realized diet for my body. Let me tell you, I lift weight now. When I just lift, lift with that cardio, I look like I'm bigger. Cardio is very important for my body. I realized that. Now I know even when I lift weight, I used to think first I lost a lot of weight. Then I want to do just lifting weight so I can fill up all the, the skin. And then I realized, no, no, I can't do that. I still have to do cardio. In my body, food just stays. I don't know. It loves me. It doesn't leave my body. <laughs> I have to do cardio. So everyone should know their limitation. But here people think like, no, I'm just going to do this, you know, this surgery. The doctor told me, I have friends that they've done the surgery and they haven't really lost the number that the doctor tells them. It's not the doctor's fault. As he tells you, he gives you an aid. I'm giving you a help for your... So my friend in Chicago, it's the same thing. For or In order for it to be approved, actually, in the US, especially if you want to use your insurance, this surgery has to be related to some sort of a medical problem. Like she had medical problem, like high blood pressure, for example, or diabetes. If you're at risk of all of that, of course, in the US, they want you to be healthy. They don't want to have to be dealing with all of this. So they would rather help you and pay for medical services in order for you, if you're at risk. Here, it doesn't matter if it's at risk or not. If you're doing it to just lose weight and be pretty. It, so the idea is that, yes, you could do it. I'm all for it. But you got to be able to have some sort of a plan. What I'm going to do after I get up from the surgery, what are my plans? Now, maybe some surgeons do have, I don't know if they've got an idea. It would be great to have them not use it as a cosmetic. I mean, actually, sleeve is not a cosmetic surgery, actually. It's a surgery. But still, like people, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to eat. And I don't feel like a lot of people are prepared because they don't want to be prepared. So the idea is, is that everything now, every time, if she can't lose weight and she tried on her own, no, 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 I'm just going to go do the surgery. It's so easy. And like I said, most of the time people can afford it. And if they can afford it, and even if they don't, they're taking loans, they're putting themselves in debt just so they can go and look a certain way. Like, can you imagine? I have a friend who is a surgeon, plastic surgeon, and he said, sometimes people bring pictures of, of famous people <laughs> wow. and say, make wow. me look like this. Like, seriously, make me look like her. Make me look like Kardashians. It's a big thing. Make me look like the Kim Kardashian. <laughs> but it's like, is it really realistic? Are we really trying to escape our reality by trying to put ourselves in becoming, like you said, social mask? Are we really trying to pretend to be someone? I mean, how many people are like walking around being fake? They're not really being real. And after a while, this catches up with you because it's going to increase your anxiety. Remember when we used to talk in class about false self and true self? Yeah. I always wonder, like today, I also had to talk about somebody else with that. I said to her, are you tired of being false? How much longer? You're in your 20s now, late 20. You've been living in this false self for a long time. What are you going to do now? When is the real self? Because she hasn't accepted her real self. And until you accept it and realize that people are going to be okay, people will be okay with whoever face you're going to show. You have to be comfortable with what when you want to show. And you know. Well, I mean, that's society for us. I think, you just, I think you just summed up the entire podcast in like really? <laughs> two different segments. It's true, right? <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I mean, you're right, especially when you see it. I mean, I've seen three people mm -hmm. that I've known that have done gastric bypass or the sleeve or whatever. Yeah. I know one guy who's done it two times, another guy that's done it three times, and another guy at work who's probably going to do it a third time also because they don't. That's Can you really do it that many times? I have no idea. Wow. But that self discipline, it's just, it's not there. 
And I think that's the saddest thing. I mean, two or three years ago, I don't remember if you saw me. I was pretty overweight a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, oh, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, 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 because I came to the clinic with my whole family. That's my right. wife was pregnant with DJ and I was trying That's to right. fix the whole family. Yeah. They just, I mean, they came and screwed up, left screwed up too. So. <laughs> they, they still, they, huh? they were all screwed up before they came in. <laughs> Thank God. I didn't Disclaimer. Add, <laughs> I didn't add anything to I, it. I think you added, you were like, wow, they're all screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> now I know what Mehdi said, right? <laughs> yeah, but. But they were lovely people. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you saw the lovely side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I usually end up doing anyway, seeing the lovely side. I know. People always fake it. You yeah. know, like, like my, my parents were completely different when yeah. they were in that setting. I was like, really? You guys are actually going to act like you raised me? All right, cool. <laughs> <You> <laughs> know, so, but I mean, I had the choice. I could have done gastric bypass or That's right. whatever that was. But I chose to make a life choice because I knew those habits and those behaviors would stick mm. and it would become more of a, let me get this right, positive reinforcement. That's right. right. That's right. So that's another psychological thing that we get, which releases dopamine every time we, that's right. the feel good sense. So what are some of the other self-practices people can take in order to make sure that they don't fall into these psychological traps that come about from social media or just in general? Because mental health is a big issue that no one and talks I, about. And I wish people would talk. I mean, maybe your next segment should be about these labels. And it's the idea is, is that most of the time people need to work on what is the problem instead of waiting till. So here, like most of the time, I'll end up seeing someone. It's very rare. I see someone that just experienced these symptoms a month ago. Let's just say a month. And they've come to me. No, no, I got to be strong. I mean, you know how many times I've got younger people saying, I've been telling my mom and dad, I am feeling like this, please take me somewhere. And no one wants to take me because they're like, toughen up, be strong. This is no big deal. We all felt like this. Like there's a limit to normalizing. Go pray. Go pray, Go pray is the biggest you know? one that I've heard of. It's very true. And a lot of times, not that I have against anything that I think spirituality also has a big tie to psychology. But I think a lot of times when you're trying to use all the other means of praying, of talking to your friend, of toughen up, and you don't come to a psychologist, your symptom becomes worse. So this stigma, we really need to spend more time talking about it. Like if you had a headache or if you had the flu, a lot of times people also toughen up and they try to get over the flu. But after one week, two weeks, three weeks, you think, no, 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 I'm going to get my antibiotics. I can't handle this. It's the same thing. Mental health should be the same way. Plus, you know, most of the time people ask me, well, when do I know I should come to see you? If you're thinking about it, it's time to see me. So, you know, I've, and then what is going to kill you? Yes, you're going to have to pay me for that one hour. I just did an evaluation for you, but at least I've told you. I mean, I hardly ever have anyone that comes to my clinic, for example, and sees me and they're perfectly fine. And I say, no, 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 you still got to see me five sessions. Now, if someone does that, they're unethical. But for me, if I see that there's nothing and what you're going through, like sometimes I've seen people, it's just an adjustment. They just got married. They just got divorced. They just moved to another area. Like sometimes I see a lot of expats that just moved here. This is all normal. But when it's really serious and you're meeting the criteria and I've just given you an assessment and you are really severely depressed, then it's a problem. Why wait? And most of the time they've had this problem for two months and they want me to cure it in like one session. How can I do that? I'm not a miracle worker. So what I suggest to people doing is that, first of all, if you can just work on yourself, if you will be able to occupy yourself, self-discipline requires a lot of self-involvement, being busy, being able to say, set a goal for yourself and realize, don't get defocused. This is my goal. I want to do this. This is what I'm going to achieve. If you can just focus, then you could be disciplined. But a lot of times young people, 
I mean, I struggle with my son. He's not self-disciplined. And having a mom like me, how could you not be self-disciplined? I'm like disciplined. <laughs> I think because the new generation are not taught, we give them everything. For me, when I was growing up, I had to like earn a lot of things in order to be, and sometimes my parents couldn't afford to do things for me. Here, it's like we don't allow them to be able to struggle. We want to make them feel quick and happy. If they can't study, we'll bring a teacher or we sit next to them and ruin the whole night while we're like trying to organize their schedule. We do it all for them. And then when they go to college, they fail and parents wonder, why did my kid fail? He was a top one in his class. That's because we aid them the whole time. In order for you to be able to accomplish self-discipline or to be able to have positive confidence, A, surround yourself with positive people, right? Get people that have the same hobbies as you, same morals and values. Try to understand what are your values. I mean, values, we're not talking about spiritual values. We're talking about what are your priorities? My values is good health. My values is eating right. And you know, and sometimes I'm sure you do it too. Like today, I'm like, I'm not going to eat any more sweets. I'm done with this. But then I break down. Okay, I start over the next day. Why should I kill myself thinking about why did I do this? And why did I do? Most people are either living in the past or they're afraid of the future. No one's ever living in their here and now. And this is where we need to be. I don't need to know. The past, I can't change anyways. And if I screwed up, I made a lot of poor decisions, definitely. And I'm not going to change it. And the future, how can I have any control over that? And I can't. So the idea is, is that people need to really organize themselves. And things don't just happen. This is a lecture I tell my son all the time. Things just don't happen. We got to make it happen. I mean, if you think about all these successful people we follow and we know in the, I mean, most all of them, first of all, the early risers, they've got goals all set up. They know how to reach their goals. They don't really spend a lot of time. Actually, most of these people, if you read up about them, they give a half an hour for themselves to read the paper to do this. They're not really that active in Instagram. And maybe they give a time. So for me, when I know people are like, especially the people I see or my students and they're like defocusing because they're always on Instagram or on social media, I tell them that you should just put an hour. The same thing as parents come to me and say, my son is addicted to video games. Well, video games shouldn't be available. First of all, during school week, you don't have them. On the weekend, you give them one day or two days, two hours here, three hours here, and you put them in activities. Of course, if they're bored, if you and I are bored, we'd be watching TV all the time. If we're sitting at home, don't have anything, I'll eat more, I'll watch TV, or I'll be on my social media. You got to keep them busy. You got to give them creativity. You got to do something. And so if we can teach them to channel some of that energy and not make them, because social media is good for a lot of things. It educates you, makes you Google things. It has really educated a lot of our new generation, actually. My kids know a lot more stuff than I knew at that. Yeah. And even now, like sometimes like, I don't know what to do here. My four-year-old knows more than me. Right? <laughs> and they Google and they yeah. know stuff. Yep. This is good. So I don't want to really bash social media because I think it had a good purpose. It does make me connect to my family, my Facebook. It connects me to people I don't know. It keeps up the news. You know, I'm here one year and then in the summer I go back home, but at least I already have been caught up with things. That's good. But when I'm obsessed over it and when it becomes evaluation of my self-worth, then it's not okay. That's when we have to be careful. As parents, I think we need to spend more time on that. At work, for example, if you're going to accomplish anything, like do you ever notice like when I'm distracted on a phone, I don't even finish my emails. I got to tell myself, I can't look at my phone. It's a self-discipline. I don't want to look at it. Nothing's going to happen. Like with students, remember when I used to say, no, my pet peeve has always been phones. Yep. <laughs> and I, I take phones I, I, away I, I from my students. remember when you, you almost took my phone away once. <laughs> exactly. Now I'm easier than back then. Back I was younger. Back then, you would take it away. 
I would take it I away. Remember now there was I a girl that was, that she was she like, cried. she was crying. She's like, I need my phone. And you were like, why do you need it? I told you not to use it in class. Yeah. But you, I need you, it. I need to call my driver. No, I, the funny thing is some of them that want to take the tip out of it, like that defeats the purpose. Oh my God. So now I don't take it as much because if I work, I'm not working every day. I work every other day, whatever. Okay. But even then, that doesn't really stop me. What really I try to say, now they can go outside and use the phone. Why are you using it on time? Then I'm distracted. There are other students that want to learn, right? And I usually tell the students what? This country can run without you for an hour and 15 minutes. If it's an hour and 15 minutes. But if it's a 15 minute class still, like what is it exactly that's going to happen? And I tell them from the beginning, if you have a family member who's sick, if you've got an emergency, because we know there's emergency happening, just like me, I'd walk out of the class to pick up a phone if I have to, if it's an emergency, like if it's my kids. But if it's not an emergency, everyone will survive 15 minutes. And that's the self-discipline. This is, see, they think I'm being mean, but I'm teaching them self-discipline. I'm teaching them that you'll be okay with that. So the idea is, is that if we can detox ourselves, we take vacation. We don't, I love vacation because I'm not on Wi-Fi all the time and I'm not on internet. So there's no need for me to be on it. It's easier that way. And have you ever like noticed when you're not on it, you're much more relaxed. You're concentrating. I'm not worried about what to put on my, I hate when like my, mark, better. my marketing guy says like, you know, you got to do your story. Then I'm like, <laughs> what should I put on my story? For me, I feel like I need to be more relaxed. I don't want to deal. Are you sleep better? Yeah. Not yeah. the first thing. Like I remember one time Oprah Winfrey on her interview, they said to her, what do you do then when you first wake up or whatever? This guy, the guy that was interviewing is like, no, when I wake up, I have to pick up my phone. She's like, that's the last thing I pick up before I leave the house. I get up. She says, a first thing, I thank God I'm alive. Then I do whatever she needs to do, eat her breakfast, whatever. And it's the last thing I pick up before I go out. And that's what we should put in ourselves in a program. But I'm sure you know a lot of people, the first thing they do, their eyes are like, it's hard to even, it's a right light. On it. yeah. Yes. And the first thing they do. And I feel like we got to time ourselves. When do we want to watch TV? When do we want to be on social media? Instead of having time to talk to people. Like it kills me when people want to talk to you and they're always using voice messages. They don't want to meet up or they don't want to call you. Like that face-to-face. Of course, I'm also busy and sometimes it helps me. But face-to-face is nice also. We should not minimize it. But it's our job as parents to teach our kids this. hundred percent. I wish I could summarize all of that, but that was a lot. That was a chunk. Yeah, but we I talk. Did, I, Sorry. I, I did love the part of if you're living in the... You know, the past, we can't do anything about it. Yeah, that was... And the future, we don't know. I'm so we have to live in the line. here and now. That was pretty now. good. Yeah. yeah that's no, no, and it's something I really try to teach all my clients about it. Because most of the time, if you think about it, I mean, even you, if you just think, of, or if I think about it, most of our fears come from where? Either the past or the future. But neither one I could do anything about. So our fears are not realistic. They're built on things that are not ideal. So my fear should be for here and now. Right now, my fear would be a make it home. What should I do? Like that. That's not even a fear. But what I'm saying, if I'm in here and now, I don't have as much fear because I'm in control now, right? But it's like, but most of the time I tell you, I mean, from my experience at the clinic, I mean, students that have anxiety, most of the time people have anxiety on what? They've got on things that they don't know or things that have already passed. I mean, like the other day, my friend says, please, you know, you help everyone, help me. Why my mind is always running, running, running? I said, running for what? What are you thinking about? She's like, well, I was thinking that I should have said this and I should have said this to this person. Somebody had a fight with her. I don't know, argument. I said, what good does it do you now? Halas, situation finished. <laughs> you said, you didn't say. Yeah. Like people really waste time, don't you think? 
Yeah, no, like, I agree with you. I do that. Honestly, like I'll say to my wife, like, ah, I should have said that. She's like, it's done. It's over yeah. and done with. But what about, I mean… What can you do about it? No, no, you're right. But what about people? I've learned something from it. Here's a question. What about people like me who have led, who have had a troubled past, so to speak? I came from a broken home. My parents mm. got divorced. My brother died. I was 22, 23. Mm. So I was at a very sensitive age. Mm. Went through anger, mm. anxiety issues. I had a pretty messed up zero to 23, so mm. to speak, until I got into university. And now with my son, mm. I've learned from my past. I mean, basically, I've learned everything my parents have screwed up on with me, my brothers and sisters. Yeah. I'm not doing with my child or at least trying not to do. Mm. So, I mean, the past is a good learning tool, right? I mean, we should still use that or… I mean, I think if you can use it as a learning tool, yes. But most of the time, people are not using it as a learning tool. They are obsessed with why did it happen? They're obsessed with the fears that they had about it. So, I mean, if I have to like constantly do this repeat reminiscing about the past, then I'm not enjoying the now. That's the problem with it is that if the idea is that if you're really thinking about your brother and passed away and these 20 years of your life, if it already you've learned a lesson, halas, it's past. And we don't really need to be within the, I know what to do in the next situation. For example, for you, you have already utilized your, this is something I talk about all the time, the psychological immune system. So you've already have tapped into your psychological immune system because you had a trauma in your childhood. And now you know how to deal with trauma. Yes, that came from your past. And I agree. So now anything that happens to you, God forbid, or any traumatic experiences, you'll be fine. It's going to hurt you. It's going to bother you. But you'll be fine because you already know what it feels like to be in trauma. And actually, my students are always impressed. They don't understand. I say that everyone should go through one trauma in their life, to be honest. Now, I'm not saying that everyone should like go and have an... But trauma for you, for example, the reason you are the way you are and you're a good family man, and you have a lot of values to pass to your kids is because you've become stronger because of the experiences you had, right? Which has prepared you for now and it prepares you for the future. Can you imagine if you didn't have all this? I mean, I'm sure now you're thinking, oh, I should have never gone through that. But it has also served you a purpose. I mean, just like me, my trauma, your trauma, it has prepared us to be who we are right now. And so I think everyone should have a little bit of that. But once we have it and we've learned a lesson, we move on. But if you talk to anyone, most of the time, people are always living in their past or they are preparing for the future that they don't even know. I mean, every like, for me, I was always like preparing for the future. And then when the future, when that time comes, I don't even respond the way I said. I mean, I just wasted time, to be honest. Wasting time thinking about something. When it came, I didn't even respond the way I was supposed to. So I feel like from that day, after doing it a couple of times, like I used to prepare. When I go and talk to this person, I'm going to say this and this and this, and she's going to say this. I'm going to respond this. And then when I got to the situation, none of it happened. <laughs> and then I realized, wow, I just wasted a lot of time, to be honest. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to live now. Whatever happens, happens. Like, I don't have any control. People need to really realize this. It will decrease your anxiety, decrease fears. Self-fulfilling prophecy. It is self-fulfilling I mean, when, when you talk about goal setting and everything, you do set your goal and you truly believe it, mm. you're going to create those steps to get there. Mm. You know, and I've talked about that before. Everything I've learned was by you, by the way. Yay! <laughs> but here's another question. Let's turn this into a psych session. Now, 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 this is free counseling. I know, right? I'm, go I'm going for the free counseling right now. So what about people when they have a troubled past, right? And they don't go down the route of drugs and jail and everything. Because we know that's a very common route. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I know a lot of my friends, they've had... Nowhere near as much trauma as myself. 
but they've ended up in jail, OD'd, still addicted to whatever drugs that are out there. Mm-hmm. How does that separation happen where one person can go one way and say, okay, this is going to make me stronger and build me up for a better life versus <laughs> I'm going to think about, is it, I'm thinking about the past, so I want to forget it. So I'll take drugs, I'll do this or... Well, I mean, there is a lot of research that says people that use drugs and alcohol, usually it's an escape, right? So a lot of times people say, no, it was a social, I learned it, it was peer pressure, yes. But I think a lot of times it's also, I mean, if you think about personality really plays a big part of it. I mean, there are personalities that are stronger and are able to endure a lot more trauma and they use it and turn it around to make it a better. Also, so genetically, that plays a part in it. Environmentally, that plays something into it. And the way you respond to trauma in your body. So there are some personalities that are weaker, I think, or sensitive, maybe not weak or sensitive, or maybe they don't have the characteristics or the traits that to be able to handle it and they don't confront. Also, a lot of people that are introvert, people that don't like to talk a lot about their feelings, they don't express. You notice that they probably will go into that route because it's good to numb themselves. While people are more extrovert, they talk more, they express more. You see them to be able to use it to their advantage. Now, sometimes both characteristics have gone to drugs or alcohol because they want to numb themselves, but one person gets really out of it. And it happens to be the one that is stronger, has much more endurance or self-discipline. But the same thing, like in social psychology, I have this question to for my students, like you've got two people that have gone to jail. So the scenario is, imagine two people that go to jail and they both go for the same thing, the same penalty, the same years, the same thing. One comes out, willing to forgive himself and they're willing to start over. The other one leaves jail, angry, resentful. What caused the differences? If you think about it, because they've got the same years in jail, the same problem, they were convicted for the same crime. Why is one comes out willing to be grateful, willing to start over, less resentful, and the other one is angry and resentful? It has a lot to do with their personality. It has a lot to do with their environment and their willingness to be able to move all forward. Some people, this person is living with the here and now, the one that left with good attitude and has learned to start over. And this other person lived in the past, is angry because maybe he didn't commit the crime and he's resentful with the environment and the way he was treated. And he's living in the past. So if you think about it, one lives in the past, so there's never going to move on. One is living for the here and now and the future. So, and our personality has a lot to do with it, I think. If you have a strong personality and you could tell like, even with your son, I'm sure like you could tell my kids, like I know which one has strong personality, which one is like the most sensitive. Unfortunately, sensitive people are great people, but also they are more prone to not moving on as fast because they're so sensitive. But if they're strong characteristic, it's good. I think it's good when you're like strong, but you know. That's cool. That's a great note to end on. Yeah. But before we end this, so tell us about your podcast. Because you're Dr. J. I'm Dr. J. I'm starting this podcast. Yeah, I saw you. I thought, oh, I should have my own. (laughs) Well, you know, know, I've always wanted to have a podcast, but I don't understand these like electronics. I mean, here it sounds so easy. Trust me. I have no (laughs) idea what I'm doing. All right. This whole setup is like like your setup and and like, like, you know. But it's just talking to the right people, learning the right tricks and... Right, but I'm so busy like, and I'm not sure if I'm, this is like part of my personality. So anyways, people have always said to me, you should have a podcast. And uh, so I've decided I wanted to have one where I don't want it to be all psychological terminology and research. I could do that at the university and I could share a lot of this stuff. I want it to be, and it's going to be for common people with common problems and common question. Like I want people to be anyone 
that doesn't have education and to the people that do have education to be able to relate. And I want it to be personalized. Like I've never really had an opportunity. A lot of people know me, but they don't know a lot about my history or my background. Like why did I pick to become a psychologist? Not that it's going to be like a session where I'm just going to talk about myself, but there are a lot of things like a lot of times clients come to me, right? And I'm thinking within myself, wow, I've had that experience. And you know, in psychology, they tell you, no, have boundaries. You can't be sharing. Sometimes I share a lot of things about myself. I come from a very psychoanalytic school that is like, and so the idea is that, no, you're not supposed to say my kid. Now I'm doing it a little more because I'm too old and who cares? But back in the days, like it was, so I felt like podcasts for me, I wanted to be common where people relate to me and I relate to them. Like there are so many things that people have gone through that actually, to be honest, I've gone through it myself or I understand it. I want to be able to share cases, of course, keeping confidentiality in check, just like I did in my class. Remember, I was shared cases, but, you know, of course, I have to change a lot of bios so people, it's a small place here. So adhering to confidentiality, but a lot of times you learn from these stories. I want to be able to share that. I want to be able to people to understand that these are common problems and some of them are normal and we all feel the same way as so I'm hoping that it's going to be successful or people will listen to me. Awesome. So have you come up with a name yet or? Well, I mean, no, it's just going to be, it's going to be Morning with Dr. With J. Doctor, morning with Dr. J. Yeah, right, yes, that's pretty yes. cool. Is it going to be released on Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays? No, you know what? You... I At first I was thinking I'm going to do it on Sunday, but I decided I'm not going to do it on Sunday because if it's something happens and I don't, I hate these when you say Sunday, Monday. I don't know when exactly the day. I mean, right now it's planned for Tomorrow we will release the first one, which is just talking naturally. By the time this airs, that will be like three or four weeks ago. <laughs> just so yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So by the time this airs, your first podcast, probably another one will be released by then. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that I don't want to do it actually on just Sunday. Maybe I need to pick a day because I'm new at this. Like I don't really know exactly. Do you have a particular day? You don't. Yeah, yeah we have a particular day. We always try and release on Sunday. Oh, so Sunday. Yeah, we treat That's it, a big we, day. We try yeah. and keep it very consistent. I usually release on Saturday because iTunes likes to play fun games. And they're like, it says 72 hours, uh. but sometimes the episode will appear right away. Mm. So two times it didn't appear until 72 hours later. And I was like, oh, come on, man. So now I release on Saturday night just in case. But yeah, we always start the week off because, you know, people are in the cars or whatever. So they have something to listen to. And yeah, we have a long podcast. We usually go on for about an hour, most of our episodes. Right. So, so mine is going to be shorter. I run 15 to 20 minutes. To be honest, I don't want to have it such a long time. Uh, hopefully, I mean, but I love to talk. So well, we get maybe people like you on. We have no choice. We can't yeah, have it 15 minutes. 15 minutes. <laughs> but for me, I was thinking that if it's going to be just, if I can come up with common, like what I've been doing now, I just write notes for myself because there's a lot of times like, wow, this would be something I should talk about. And so I find these topics now and I want to introduce it by saying, do most people feel like this? Have I felt like that? Have you felt like that? And what do you do when you feel like that? So most of the time, that's the way I want to organize it. Of course, like most of the podcasts that I've really listened to, they are more than they're an hour. Some people just like talking and talking about it. And maybe some people find it. And there's other ones that are like very specific. This is what you do. This is the problem. It depends the what solution. you're looking for. It depends. It depends. I mean, and I don't really looking, want to give for solution. Education. Yeah. education and entertainment is what we do. Mm-hmm. So if you're just education, yeah, I mean, it just, it depends mm-hmm. on you and what you're going for. Now, how can people get in touch with you? Is there DMs, emails, or right, of course are you going to have like a hotline set up so people can kind of call no. in and give you their questions? Yeah, like, I wish. Can you do that with podcasts? Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be fun. I, we we got to talk. 
I'll hook you up. Really? I yeah, want yeah. to do that. You can, you uh, can I love questions online. Oh, that would be... But what I do right now is most people like through my Instagram, dr.jdinka. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they DM me and then they can send me a message. I mean, even I've been saying, anyone have any questions, please share it with me. And a lot of people have given me topics actually. It's nice. Oh, that's pretty cool. And then some of the topics I've seen in the clinic these past week or two, and I've been taking notes to see if... Some of it, I find it very interesting. And like I said, I'm looking for topics that other people can relate to, that they don't have to be in psychology or interested. It's something that, you know, like, you know, when it, as a parent, I'm sure that there's a lot of things, and, and you're a parent, I'm sure there's a lot of things like your son is doing or my kid. And I'm wondering, is it just me? Do other people, don't yeah. you feel better when you realize someone else saying, no, 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 this is, I've done it too. Like when I, 14 year old, he, he's always daydreaming. And then so the other day I was talking to my friend, her, her son is the same age. And she's like, oh yeah. Or like they spend so much time in the bathroom. Why are they spending so much time in the bathroom? And then she says, yes, my son does the same thing. So whenever they tell you yes at 14, 15, yeah. and then you feel like, okay, then I don't have to worry about it. I mean, no matter how much the psychologist I am, I still, <laughs> I still feel like, wow, you still know. Still kicks in somewhere. Yeah. No, I want to make totally sure it's okay, you know. Totally yeah. understand. See, I stopped diagnosing. Yeah. Like DJ's, yeah, you doc, DJ's doctor was like, look, the worst thing you can do is go online and try and diagnose yeah, it yourself. I tell people don't so do that. We, I mean, I, hey, I will say the opposite, but I've tried to stop doing the whole diagnosis thing and I just let a kid be a kid. Of it's, course, of course. Because if you keep going on hearsay and whatever, you'll end up he, analyzing it over, and look, overanalyzing. And it. from all the classes you've taken, you know, developmentally, each person is different. Yeah. So because each person is different, what you want to realize that you can't compare your kid. And even if you had a second kid, they're not going to be the same. And the idea is that some of my patients are on medication. I hate it when they go on Google. They tried to tell me, oh no, but I saw this side effect and I saw this side effect. I mean, most of it is like 0.005 of the side effect. Yeah. Right? So people need, so whenever you go online and then that's why I don't like to give them their diagnosis. They go online, they come back to me and say, you know, it says this online and it says this online. And then now I have to spend another 15 minutes just trying to tell them, please, let's not talk about it. <laughs> so I would rather not have at all, to be honest, not have people look up online because everyone develops very differently. So I want to be able to, to tell people that and make them really relaxed. Like, we have enough problems in the world. Why should I like add more? Oh, if your kid is doing this, he must be autistic. If your kid is this, like, we don't need to talk about this. I want to talk more about things that do all of you feel the same way as me have you been depressed? Is it okay? Is it not? Yeah, totally cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I can't wait to listen to it. Yeah. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks. Hopefully you'll be back on again. Inshallah. Yeah, you definitely yes. got to come back on the okay. project. Okay, well, definitely. Yeah, I would ho- love hopefully to. we'll have Meg on next time and we can talk about gut health issues and stuff and how that affects the brain and your psychology. Yeah. Because with, with what you touched on earlier, I was like, oh, that would be a great episode right there with what yeah. you eat and how you feel. That I think, would be awesome. I think we need to do more of that. Because people really need to understand there's a correlation. All right. And people need to know that there is correlation between health and eating and mental health. So it's good. I think I like this topic. Yeah. Great. Well, good. you can steal it for your show. Yeah. <laughs> but you got, you got to have me on since I had you on. I definitely. I will definitely <laughs> no, have no, th- you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.